You're listening to the One Small Bite Podcast with me, your host, David Roscoe. For over a decade, I have built a successful nutrition practice helping thousands of people thrive, nourish their life, and break the cycle of crazy diets. We will take one small bite at a time to transform your health and develop a positive relationship to food. So let's chop the diet mentality, fuel your body, and nourish your soul. Okay, are you ready? Let's do this. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. This is your host, David Orozco, with the One Small Bite podcast. And I'm really excited because I get to bring to you today the whole premise, the whole foundation the whole idea behind this podcast and how I work with clients, and it is going to be great. I've told you about how I am writing a book, and I've been eagerly, eagerly waiting to start doing some episodes on just that. So what I'd like to do is start off with the foundation of not just this book, but of a lot of what I do with the people that I work with the episodes that I put together, and with the foundation of what's really going to make your life optimal, live that life that you want to live. And it's not going to be through diets, I'll tell you that. We are going to chop that diet mentality, but we're going to fuel our bodies. And this is one of those episodes where we do get to nourish our souls. So we are going to find out how to eat what we want so we can live optimally. And that's the one small bite approach. Okay, so before we get started, I just wanted to let you know that this episode is brought to you by TD Wellness. This is the nutrition practice that will drive that approach for you, that will guide you through or up that mountain, right? To be that Sherpa I am happy to work with you. Your insurance is probably going to cover your nutrition services. Don't wait. Go to the website and click on make an appointment. Go to onesmallbite.net. Click on either contact us or make an appointment and you're on your way. We'll get in touch with you. All right, folks. So what does this mean? What does one small bite really mean? Well, let me start out. I think many of you that have listened to the various episodes that I've had various guests on, I have talked about this and mentioned it before. The The name one small bite really comes from the culmination of work that I've been on with so many clients and so many people that I've worked with, presentations that I've done, and what I've seen over the years over 13 years of working with clients, but it really comes back to being at home, dinner with the family. It's interesting. So one of the things that I look forward to almost every single day, and and I'm even including weekends, is dinner with the family. No matter what's happening in our lives, almost every night of the week, we have dinner together as a family. Now, I know that this very thing is difficult for so many people. But I'll tell you, it is one of the best moments of my day, without a doubt. And so early on, when my daughter was about one and a half, two years old, 
we had always uh, had this philosophy that first and foremost, it's cook's choice. We eat whatever the cook is making. And so there's no complaints. There's no rumbling and grumbling. Now, that doesn't always go that way. But the cook is going to make whatever he or she is going to make. So my wife will make something, we'll eat it. I make something, we'll eat it. Now, I typically work from home. Now, because of coronavirus, I'm at home all the time. But even before coronavirus, I was usually the one that would get home first and start cooking. And that I look forward to so often. Now, it's not always fun. It's not always easy. Sometimes I'm just putting some things together. Sometimes we don't have things in the refrigerator that I would want, but we come up with something. And it's usually going to be a good combination of a protein, a vegetable, a starch, some healthy fats, and probably or maybe not some dairy. So we're getting in a good variety of food groups. We'll also include from time to time some fruit, depending on what we're having. So all six food groups are going to be represented, or at least four of them are going to be represented, with some of them, or one of them at least, going to be fresh fruit, fresh vegetables, or some variation of that, all right? Okay, so one small bite actually comes from when my daughter was around one and a half, two years old. One of the things that we would often say to her was, hey, sweetie, all you have to do is take one small bite. If you don't like it, we're not going to force you to eat it, but we just want you to take one small bite. And many times she would take that one small bite, and then we would have this um, thumbs up, thumb side, thumbs down kind of code. So if it was delicious, thumbs up. It was okay, thumbs to the side. If it was not good, thumbs down. Now, generally what we would see was more or less either a thumbs to the side and an occasional thumbs up. So then she started using two hands, and so she would have one thumb up and one thumb to the side, or she would do one thumb up and one thumb down. You know, what we know about eating is that a lot of it is adapting to something, is getting used to certain flavors or certain foods or certain textures. You adapt to it somehow. You get accustomed to it. And so we knew that we needed to expose our daughter on a regular basis. And this kept on until she was about four, five years old. We didn't stop with, hey, sweetie, all remember, all you have to do is one small bite. And even to this day, she is now eight and a half. She'll be nine in, in just a few months. She, We still do the same thing. We actually tell her, hey, sweetie, all you have to do is take one small bite. That's it. And you know what? It really opens up her awareness. It, it, it gives her that understanding of what flavors are going on, and it really reduces that stress because there is a lot that happens at the dinner table that affect us for the rest of our lives. A lot of the way we eat today has been centered mainly on those childhood experiences. Let me digress a little bit. Let me tell you what I mean. I often tell clients this. I often say to them, hey, you know, what's really happening is that you are trying to eat from an experience or you're trying to avoid certain foods because you've experienced it. Let me give you a very simple example, tofu. A lot of people will tell me, oh, I don't like tofu. I don't like the texture of tofu. Yeah, I mean, I get it. Tofu has the texture of eggs. What? 
yeah, when you scrambled eggs, that's kind of mu- pretty much the same texture that tofu has. Now, it does depend on how much you cook the egg, but the same thing. You can get tofu that is silky. You can get tofu that's medium firm. You can get tofu that's firm, and you can get tofu that's extra firm. You can fry tofu. You can pan sear it. You can just eat it raw. So the texture of the tofu definitely is something that's interesting, but it's a combination, and the combination is... The tofu doesn't have a flavor. So the only thing that you're tasting is the texture. And so a lot of people will say that, that they don't like tofu because it tastes funny. But tofu is technically the chameleon of foods. It'll take on any flavor. But it again, it's an experience that you've had before. And so we don't like it. I'm give you another example. I had never tried okra until I moved to Georgia. And I moved to Georgia about... 30 years ago, 31 to be exact. When I was exposed to okra, I thought it was slimy. I thought it was, it didn't, just didn't taste good. It was slimy in my mouth. But the very first time I had okra was in gumbo. It's uh, a New Orleans, uh, Louisiana, Creole-based uh, dish. And so I really didn't like it that much because I was never around that. that I never had a, a dish like that. But it was it was interesting. So that went on for a long time. So I would never, ever try tofu. And every time I did, either by mistake or because of a dare, I would think of the very same time that I had it the first time. And now the thought wasn't, oh, I remember exactly where I was when I had it. It was more of a, a feeling. And the body remembers the feeling way before it remembers an actual experience. And so there's an instantaneous reaction. And that's what I mean about eating is experiential. So I often tell people, you know, what's interesting about this is that we have to rework a lot of these experiences. And so the mind can accomplish changes, but we have to take it one small bite at a time and then re-expose ourselves over and over again. I remember someone once told me that he didn't like broccoli. He never liked broccoli. And then as an adult, When he went to a friend's house or somewhere, I think it was a cousin or an uncle or something, he said, you know, it was interesting because they grilled the the broccoli and they added a little bit of olive oil, so there was a crunch to it. And boy, ever since then, I was hooked to broccoli and it never really scared me. So this is readapting. This is what I often tell clients is neuroplasticity. And so one small bite comes from that experience We re-experience things. Now, I don't often tell people to eat something that they absolutely despise or don't like. No, I, I often start with something that's relatively simple. It's not easy. But I also tell people, look, when you were born, you didn't know how to walk. I mean, it's like, it's not where people just pop out of their mother's womb and all of a sudden start walking. No, it takes you several months It takes you then a few years to kind of get the hang of it. And gosh, even as adults, we still stumble over. Think of it this way. Whatever career you're in, did you just start out that way? If you're a carpenter or you're in construction, I can guarantee you that the way you do things now was certainly not the way when you started it. And it doesn't matter whether we're talking about a career or profession or parenting or anything. It takes us time. Time to get really good at it. So, yeah, this is where it all lies. This is 
this is that okay hmm i think one is one thing that's interesting is that i'm curious about this it's that hmm you've talked you've heard me talk about this before i've mentioned the hmm concept that idea of oh this is interesting so what we end up doing is we then experiment curiosity is phenomenal because what it does is it allows us to be open minded it's a it's a i wonder if versus a oh no or nah i don't want that or ooh and yes a lot of times with clients i'm asking them to head towards sometimes things that they fear and what's really really interesting is that fear has been ingrained since a very young age okay so what does this mean then so a lot of times what i have started seeing and again the concept behind one small bite is the work that i've done with clients has really been just about that how we take one small thing and we build on that now a lot of times it's not me just going like i was mentioning a little while ago it's not me just taking something that they despise but something usually that they're good at so for example maybe they're good at having uh i don't know or they enjoy spinach or maybe they enjoy broccoli or maybe they enjoy something and i take that whatever that something that food that fruit that vegetable and i say okay then expose yourself to that fear food or that food that you're not so crazy about that you've not tried and add it that way let me give you an example for example with one client i he loved hamburgers okay and well he enjoyed the hamburgers so much that he just never ever had any vegetables and so i would say to him okay well what do you usually put in your hamburgers and he goes oh lettuce and tomatoes i said well you do have vegetables and he goes oh, but come on david that's not the same thing it's interesting because on one hand he knew he had to eat more fresh fruits and vegetables but on the other hand he despised vegetables i mean lettuce and tomato that was it and so i said to him okay let's start there i told him all right have your hamburger but you know what take your lettuce and tomato out put it on the side and i'll tell you what why don't you add a little bit of spinach to your lettuce and tomato and either have it on the side or put it into the burger and he thought oh no i'm i said to him okay well well you know you you do want to have some some more vegetables you you know that you've come to me because your doctor said that your blood pressure is out of control and then you need to get your lipids your cholesterol under control and so one of the things that we need to do is either have you cut out these kind of foods or add some more fruits and vegetables. Now, let me digress a little bit. Oftentimes, when guys go to a doctor and they get that information, they usually go all, go all out, right? They go from eating burgers to eating salads only. Now, this guy, no, he didn't want to do that, but he knew he had to change. And so one of the things that I suggested to him was, okay, why don't you just start by throwing in some spinach into your burger? And he said, oh man, okay, you know, I know that I don't like spinach. And I said, "Well, why do you not like spinach?" "Oh, because it, when you cook it." And I said, "When did I say you should cook it?" And he goes, "Oh, that's interesting because when I was a kid, I remember I used to have to eat that canned spinach or mom would cook the spinach and I just I never really liked it. It was slimy and it was in, you know, it was just uh, a pu putrid green. <laughs> and I said to him, "Yeah, I wouldn't like eating a vegetable if I was exposed to it that way either." But this is not that. 
So first of all, you're barely even going to see the spinach because it's going to be in your burger. And he said, but David, what if it makes the, ta- the burger taste bad? And I said, well, I don't know. You've got to try it. I mean, but we got to try something. If you don't try anything, then we're going to be stuck in the same place. So a lot of this is heading towards that fear. Okay, so we started working a little bit on that. And he added the spinach, and he was surprised. He came back and said to me, you know, David, it was interesting. I didn't taste the spinach at all. And I said, and, and what happened? Did you throw up? Did you, did you die? And he's like, you know, started laughing. And he's like, no, 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 of course, none of that happened. And he said, it actually was no big deal. So I added, I, I forgot what he said. I added some other, I think he said kale. And he said the kale was a little, he did add kale. He said the kale was a little interesting because it had a bit of a crunch to it uh, because of some of the stems were a little hard. But then he worked around that by taking off some of the stems. And I said, you see, super easy, right? Curiosity, folks. Wow. It just really starts opening doors and it creates this momentum. So that's one of the C's that I've seen works really well with clients. So another C word that I often use and see with so many clients and people that I work with and in presentations that I've done is compassion. Now, there's a great book. If you ever get the opportunity to read Self-Compassion by Kristen Neff, it's really one of the books that have changed my life, changed the way I do things, changed the way I see things. It really is important. Now, there's other, there are other books that are really good on self-compassion. But, you know, what's interesting, one of the things that I see quite often with the people that I work with is when they have self-compassion. And I'll talk a little bit about what that means in just a, in just a little. When people have that compassion for themselves and for others, they allow themselves that wiggle room. They, they are understanding that they were curious about something. They tried it and it wasn't great. It wasn't w- working really well. And they might have a bit of a pity party. And so they then say to themselves, okay, what did I learn from that? I'm going to use myself as an example with that because I think that, that that's one of the most difficult things that as both a professional and as a person I've had to deal with is that compassion. I grew up, again, it goes back to that childhood, right? I grew up in a household where, oh, come on, get a backbone or, oh, don't be such a sissy. Well, they didn't use quite that word. And in Spanish, you know, they use a lot of other words. There was also that machismo, you know, if you're not bleeding, if, if you didn't break something, then there's nothing wrong. And, and the other thing, too, as, as, a bit, as a boy, I experienced not being able to express my emotions. And that was difficult because as an adult, it's hard to actually even pinpoint what I'm feeling because I have to relearn all of that. This is one of those parts of compassion that I'm talking about. The other thing that I that I that I think about that's important is prioritization. To me, if I'm not prioritizing myself, then what is that saying about how I feel about myself or how I think about myself? And so I'm not being compassionate. Prioritization means not a selfishness approach. Not, oh, me first, or I'm going to be the best. or Now, that's important. Don't let me take that drive away from anybody. But the point that I'm getting to 
is that that self-criticism is going to be more nurturing. It's going to be more supportive. It's going to be more ally type. This is all a foundation of intuitive eating as well. This is where we start changing the food police voices. This is what happens with many of the clients that I work with too, is that they get into this mentality of, oh, I've got to eat this perfect certain way. Well, that doesn't prioritize what you enjoy to eat. You've heard me talk several times about how I enjoy eating some Oreo cookies, or I might make mac and cheese. I eat cheeseburgers. I eat pizza. I have pasta. And so if I sit around and tell myself I'm not eating perfect, and then that that's not compassionate. It's not empathetic to myself. I'm not creating any kindness. Yeah, you can be empathetic and you can be kind to others, but I often say to people, and I ask them sometimes, hey, do you love yourself? And they'll say, oh, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And, and then I'll say, so why did you eat the way you ate last night? And they're like, well, what are you talking about? And I'm like, well, you just told me that you couldn't stop eating that ice cream and you had the whole pint of ice cream. And I said, how does that actually tell you that you're being compassionate with yourself? I say to them, your actions or behaviors are saying more than why you're thinking or what you're saying about yourself. Yes, I know that you know to be loving and kind and compassionate to yourself, but it's more involved in your actions and your behaviors. So when people start going from that curiosity voice, they go on to that compassionate voice because they say to themselves, all right, yeah, you know, I didn't do great here. And this is where I love interjecting Brene Brown's concept of moving forward, of heading towards vulnerability and building that courage. And she says, it's my job to get it right, not to be right. I love that because that's such the opposite of a perfectionist or a compulsive individual that wants to control things. You know, we shield up, we, we armor up, as she says, when we do that, when we try to control things and we try to look for perfectionism or things have to be just a certain way. And I experienced this the other day. I was trying to deliver a change to a group that I was working with. And this group was a lot of people that I know are doing things a certain way. They have It has to be A, B, C, D, or one, two, three, four. And there's a lot of that control and perfectionism. And I flopped. <laughs> I just didn't do it well. But I said to myself, okay, what did I learn from this? Now, I did not feel great. I expressed my emotions, my feelings. I didn't feel great. But compassion comes from the ability of it's my job to get it right, not to be right. I often tell clients the measure of a person is not the mistakes or those self-deprecating, critical self-comments we make all the time, but how they evolve or how they fix or how they manage it afterwards, how they move from that error, from that mistake forward and make it right. Again, it's my job to get it right, not to be right. So compassion is a big one. The next C in my approach, in this one small bite approach, and what I'm going to be putting in the book is going to be commitment. This is another big C that I see with a lot of clients. And this one's interesting because in commitment, 
one of the things that I can't help but think about is my father's book, The Oracle of the Three Tortoises. I I, I just it, it's amazing because to me the, the the book is really not about turtles or 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 uh, you know one small bite, but my father was committed. He was going to write that book, and I was just fascinated by him. And I've always said, I, I hope I'd be half the man my father was. I think that that's, you know, I mean, my father was so um, inspiring, and, and I was so proud of him, but I didn't often have the opportunity to show him. The turtle is the one that won the race. So in my mind, even though the book's not about this, when I work with clients, when they're committed with something, to me, they're the tortoise, not the hare. They're not going from diet to diet to diet to diet. The client or the people that I work with that have lifelong success, they may not lose a whole lot of weight. They may not get to the shape or the size or the look that they've used to want to get to, but they get to a place in life where it's steady as she goes. They're healthier most of the time. They're happier most of the time. They sleep better most of the time. They're not as irritable. They have more energy on a regular basis or most of the time. And so they're committed. They're committed to this one small change and they get good at it. They get really, really good at it. And that's the same with my daughter. My daughter commits to that one small bite and every night we're always saying it. Maybe not every night, most nights, but we're always saying it. And even to this day, we're committed to it. And she builds on it. And she's got a fantastic palate. Yes, she is not perfect. She is going to have nights and days where she is just not going to eat things. Or she gives the thumbs down. Or she uh, pitches a fit because she's got to eat fish. Or she's going to eat something. But we do not make anything different at the dinner table. She eats what we eat. That has started since she was able to eat regular food. Now, there are times here and there. I mean, we're not like rigid where we have to have the exact same thing. There are times when we may have a party and we just don't have the resources or we don't really want to focus on that much where she just will eat something different. That doesn't happen very often, but it does happen. The point I'm getting to here is that we're committed and that's exactly the, the approach that I see many of my clients take. They may not be doing it every single day. Four, five days out of the week, they may be adding that spinach to their, their burger or having a salad on the side, but they keep at it. They're committed. They're the tortoise. They're steady as she goes, and they win the race that way. But the key here is that it's not a race. It is life, and there is no destination. There are only stops along the way. And so we move on to then the next one, but it builds that momentum. So you got curiosity, you've got compassion, you also have commitment. And the last C, which is sort of what I talked about a little while ago, and that is consistency. We're always doing the same thing, just one area to focus on. And not always the exact same small bite. Many, many times it might be drinking more water along with having a vegetable in the day, maybe having a fruit. But one day, it's one more than the other. The key behind it isn't what they are doing. It's how or why they are doing it. That's so important. It's not so much what I am eating, what I am drinking, but why and how. And so I always tell people that 
the problem with your weight or your health in many, many cases is almost always the reason of or the, the, the concept behind overconsumption or excess food or overeating or getting too much. So it's usually a volume or an amount issue as well as a frequency issue. Okay, what, what, what do I mean by frequency? Well, if you eat the same thing, say Oreo cookies every single day, by the end of the week, you've eaten what you would have, you know, a whole bag worth. And so, well, that doesn't make your body any healthier. So there is this commitment to be healthier. Not so much that I cannot have the Oreo cookies. Gosh, I think Oreos should really, I should probably get them uh, on here because I probably make a killing with how much I've given them spotlight here, right? So you get my drift here a little bit. You know, the idea, the concept behind that consistency is so important. All right, so this is where I wanted to take you today, down this journey of the four C's that I see work over and over and over again with so many people that I work with with so many clients. Now, it doesn't work with everybody all the time, and sometimes they're not at a place in life where it's going to work foolproof. I just went on a big bike ride with many of my friends, and we go on this epic ride every Sunday. It's a lot of fun, and what ends up happening is we start talking about just different things in life, and, uh, and uh, we started talking about coffee and um and why we should give it up or should we give it up? And I, and I was telling him, well, you know, I don't know if it's necessary to give up coffee. Now, let me digress. I am Colombian and I don't drink coffee. I never liked coffee. And the only way I'll drink coffee is if I doctor it up with cream, maybe something sweet. And so to me, I'm like, well, you know, that's just adding extra calories. So why really bother? So he said, well, why don't we do a study where we eliminate it for a whole month? And I said to him, you know, the problem with that is there are so many variables of, of things that are happening in our lives, the things that we eat, that we don't know if it's the elimination of the coffee that's going to have the beneficial effect. Or when you take your whatever outcomes you're looking at, blood lipids or blood sugar, stress or anything like that, we don't know if it's the food that may be contributing, the way you sleep or the, the smoking that one might do or just the chronic stress that a person's dealing with. So, I mean, yeah, one month is just not going to do it. And I, this is the problem or the area that's very challenging with nutrition science. It's an ongoing um, body of evidence and you, you can't really isolate what's happening in a person's life with a study that only looks at something for a one-month period of time. So the thing that I told him was, well, the problem with it is that, well, quite honestly, you're going to need several years to figure out if it is coffee. That's the problem. I said, you're much better off just having less of it if you're drinking a lot of it. And so, again, that's that curiosity. It's understanding and taking a look at it. So this conversation came up and, you know, it's uh, it's great to talk with my friends and, and clients about these things. But I really wanted to share this with you because, again, it's not about changing something drastic out of your life and doing it for a whole month and eliminating it completely. It's one small thing. If you're having something too much, too often, maybe we back it off. And I'm going to tell you, this works so well so often. So really, 
This is at the core. This is at the foundation of so much of what I do. This is one of the reasons why I've called this podcast One Small Bite, because I know that this is about fueling your body efficiently and nourishing your soul. It's about, all right, if I don't have breakfast and I'm not feeling that energy and I'm constantly needing coffee, so I'm drinking one, two cups in the morning, but I'm not having anything to eat and I'm going to need something to snack on. Hey, curiosity here. Be aware. The body is trying to tell us something. And so I work on focusing in that curiosity, knowing what the body is hearing, is saying. And you've, you heard that interview that I'd had with uh, Evelyn Triboli, episode number 13. You heard her talk about interceptive awareness. So folks, this is sort of where it boils down to. It's getting to listen and pay attention to what the body is actually always telling us. We just aren't capable of hearing those nuances because we don't slow down. It reminds me of another client that I was working with and we worked for a while and she finally got to this place where she said to me, you know, David, you told me something that really struck me. She she said, I finally started to slow down. You told me, you know, I, I may not be hearing what my body is telling me because I'm, I'm not paying attention because so much is going on. And that just struck me, she said. And she said, so I, I started paying attention. I started slowing down. And she said, it was as if God was talking to me. Those little things that he was saying, I wasn't ever paying attention to. I was always waiting for the big thing, a lot of weight loss or my blood pressure to improve or sleeping great all the time. And and I wasn't listening to those little voices, those small little changes. He was talking to me that way. I was like, oh, this is beautiful. This is exactly what I'm talking about. It's in those nuances. So folks, it's all about curiosity, compassion, commitment, and consistency. And I'm going to bring a few more episodes on each one of these subjects so we can kind of hone in and you'll get to hear a little bit of where my book is going. I'd love to get your feedback on it, though. I'd love to also hear what you think about this episode. When you get a chance, go down to the review section, hit me up with some stars, and then let me know what you think or go to my website, onesmallbite.com, contact us, and then let me know what your thoughts are. I'd love to hear the things that people are thinking about. Great. So if you like this episode, by the way, when you're there, go ahead and share it with someone too. That would be great because remember, the greater the reach, the more we can teach and the more others will take some great pieces out of this. Okay, folks, I really appreciate you for listening in. I want to remind you that this is about one small thing that you can do and just getting really good at it. I'm excited to bring you some more great episodes. Stay tuned. Remember, if you subscribe, it'll automatically download to your smartphone, and you'll get to hear the episodes right when they pop up on Wednesdays. And I'll bring, of course, some great guests along the way as well. So, I hope you enjoy this episode. Hey then, thanks a lot. Until next time, remember, chop that diet mentality, fuel your body, and nourish your soul. See you soon, folks. 